It's been a really exciting few weeks where we've been able to recap even over again the revelation that God's been showing us through the latter books of Genesis where you see a generational family, or the patriarch, our Bible calls them, developing a generational work in a land where there was no witness of God's people in the land, but a few humble generations come out from worshiping other gods, not knowing anything about Adonai themselves, coming into uh, obedience to his word, meeting with him, and then raising son after son after son and many sons to do that. Is that not the same work that God's doing here? Yes. Man, so in the, in the book of Genesis, what we saw in Isaac's life was that he was establishing his family in the land in ways that not even his father before him got to. Do you remember that at the last well that Isaac got to dig, that we have at least written there in the book, is that it said that they were given space to grow. They were given space to live. They were given space to settle down and not be disturbed by their enemies. In fact, the very people who would have considered themselves their enemies were actually just threatened by a shepherd people and their household. Isn't that incredible how even God's people, his shepherds and all of his people and his servants can just be walking through a land saying that it's theirs and they are all of a sudden a threat and make kings to be insecure whenever they're standing on their land. That is exactly what God's doing with each one of you in this land. He is causing the government even over these lands to be insecure about the authority that they have. Consider that, that the witness of Adonai himself in this land, that the Lord himself, his presence coming through your life will cause even people who, those who are wicked to be insecure about their leadership. That's going to make the presence of God the governor of our region, right? Amen? Amen? Amen. Come on, I know it's rainy outside. I know you might feel a little sleepy this morning, but we don't care. You're going to wake up, and this is going to be a fun, interactive time today. So what is it then about settling down in a land? It's not just about some dirt. It's not just about a few square, a few square feet or some acres. It's an inheritance. An inheritance is exactly everything we're going to talk to you about today and probably for months to come. So you better buckle in because this is going to be a really fun ride through months of revelation that God has already given us and will continue to unravel even more for us. So today's message is titled, The Value of Inheritance. Say the value of inheritance. One more time, louder. The value of inheritance. Come on, we're going to get some blood flowing in your brain this morning. Each man lives according to the revelation of his inheritance. Listen to that. Each man lives according to the revelation of his inheritance. Our entire goal today is to translate to you the weight and the excitement we have received from a growing revelation of our inheritance in him because what it does is it sets your minds on the eternal it sets your mind on things above and not just the things that are right now but what's interesting is that it causes you to behave differently today according to the revelation of the in eternal inheritance that you do have now let's clear some things up because our western gospel is very very 
salvation-centric. Like, whoa, well, what's wrong with that? Well, the issue with our Western gospel, oftentimes being salvation-centric, is is that in the midst of a kingdom that you're living in, a kingdom with a king and leaders and governors and, and an inheritance that's being had right here on this earth and will be revealed in the age to come, your personal salvation is not the center point of the entire thing. Now, what's important about that is, is that your salvation is a byproduct of your sonship. You are saved because you are a son, because you are found to be in his family, and then therefore, you're participating in an inheritance. Consider what Romans 8.17 has to say. It says, now if we are children, then what? We are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. That's a huge subject right there that we are very excited to cover a little bit with you today. Today is an introduction so that we make sure we are all moving together as a church, developing in a revelation that God's going to continue to reveal to us. It says, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. There is an inheritance that is to come. But you have a part in an inheritance today. If you inherit his way of life that Yeshua himself showed you today, you will also inherit all of the glory that comes with it. It says that we are co-heirs with Christ. And we are excited to find out what all that means. So what exactly does this mean that whenever we say each man, each man lives according to the revelation of his inheritance? We will be covering this subject and unpacking its intricacies, but right now, today, we need you to understand just how important, just how valuable, not inheritance in and of itself is, but your revelation and your understanding of inheritance. You might be able to say, yes, I know that in the age to come, I will have eternal life. Yes, I know in the age to come, I will be seated with him in glory. Yes, I know that in the age to come, I will have all of these treasures stored up in heaven because I sure wasn't storing them up on earth. Hallelujah. I'll get rich later. Amen. Y'all with me still? So you might understand that today I've won an inheritance to come. But if you don't have an understanding of your inheritance today, you will live according to it. You will live according to something that is a dead end. Is your faith a dead end? Is your faith a dead end that ends at the point of your death or at the point of the end of this age? Does your your inheritance or does the work that you sow into this thing, does it end with you? Does it end in this generation? Does it end in this age? We know that the answer to that is no. But we understand that sometimes our actions and our behaviors reflect rather that we do not actually value inheritance that we have with him if you knew that you were a co-heir with christ everything that is christ's is therefore also yours i promise you that you don't understand that as much as you think you do because it would cause you to live incredibly differently if you knew that you got to stand with him and inherit what he inherits and participate in both the glory but also the sufferings there with him 
Come on. You might want to inherit all of his glory, but are there a few people in here that would also be willing to inherit his sufferings with him today? Well, Romans 8, for all of the fun things that it says, it also says that we have to inherit this. So we're going to start in Genesis chapter 1 with you today to show you just how God has caused from the very beginning of creation his people to be living in an inheritance. Turn to Genesis chapter 1 verse 27 as Pastor Landon makes way more sense of this for you. That's the perfect picture. The whole thing, the whole thing's his. And it's yours too. Hallelujah. Come on. Genesis 1, verse 27, starting at 27. It says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of all the earth, and every tree which has fruit yielding seed, it shall be food for you. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the sky, and to everything that moves on the earth which has life, I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. There was evening, there was morning, the sixth day. So saints, our inheritance on earth, in this age, right now, is that we bear his image, carry his authority, and display his glory on the earth. Yeah. Pastor Jason said there's an inheritance to come, but there is one for us right now. I'm going to read them again. It's to bear his image, to carry his authority, and display his glory on the earth. This predates saved and unsaved, Jew and Gentile, slave and free, race, religion. It predates all of it because God created one race and one mankind and said that mankind has this authority to bear from day one. No matter what your churches tell you now, no matter what the news tells you now, this is your inheritance. And every man and woman is part of this inheritance. But if we know that we don't hear that nowadays, then you might ask yourself, where exactly did we go wrong? It was the same now as it is, it was the same then as it is now. We've been given an inheritance and authority within that inheritance to carry out the commands and the will of our Father for His glorious purposes. Yeah. In His own blood, and has made us kings and priests unto God, to Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Genesis states you have the authority to carry these things out. Yeah. Jesus bookends your Bible by saying, hey, I've made you a king. And that's not to come, that is right now in this inheritance. We are kings, and kings operate in authority over what's given to them. When we take 
Genesis and Revelation, and we combine and we get these things. Kings that are made in his image. Kings that operate and today. It has been this way since the garden, since mankind was created, and it remains that way today. And it will be that way in the age to come. Jesus made it clear in his ministry even that our inheritance as sons and daughters is important. And this morning we're not going to dig too much into what the inheritance is. Because some of you need to realize you have one in the first place. And until you get a hold of the fact that you have one, you have no business knowing what it is. Because it wouldn't do you any good. So this morning we're going to make clear to you that you have one. We're going to walk through what it looks like to walk in one. What it looks like to have authority and take ownership of what has been gifted and given to you. Amen. You cannot earn your inheritance. But you can be given an inheritance. And every single one of you in this room have been given the inheritance. And it's time for us to grab hold of it this morning. We're going to turn to our first deep theological passage of the morning. Yeah. Turn to Luke 15. Come on. We will never escape Luke 15. He won't let us leave. While you're on your way there, I want you to think about something that Galatians chapter 4 says. Turn to Luke 15, but listen to me. It says, but when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Because you are sons. Say because. Because. Because you are sons. God sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Whenever you look at something like Galatians chapter 4, and then you also consider James chapter 4, that's talking about you asking amiss, you're asking for the wrong things, or you're asking in the, with the wrong heart in the wrong way. You have to think about if you are a son with an inheritance and you are asking the wrong things in the wrong way with the wrong heart and you are missing the point. This is why and we have a Galatians chapter 4 revelation that if you are a son in fact, then you are also an heir and he is, sends out the spirit of his firstborn son that in you cries out Abba. So whenever you cry out Abba, and you are, not, you're, you are crying out for him. You are calling out to him to come and meet with him and to be with him. Then we get to actually understand what his inheritance that he has in store actually means for us. Now, whenever we look at Luke chapter 15, we're going to look at a story about, obviously, two sons and how they handle inheritance. This is going to give you a little bit of a different perspective an insight as to what's going on here and not just about a father's love receiving a son back home. That is a beautiful revelation and God has cracked that one open for us for well over a year now where we have been making sure that every single person in this room walks in a revelation of sonship. Now that you are a son, now that you have a heart cry that says, Abba, Father, I want you to look at this story in this perspective. 
Luke chapter 15, we're going to start in verse 11. Are you there? Verse 11 says, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share or my portion of the estate. That's an important word. Hold on to that one. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered. Say squandered. Squandered. His wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. Interesting. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. No one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Abba, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his Abba saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Abba, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But his father said to his servants, Quick, quickly, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near to the house, he heard music and dancing. <coughs> so he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come home, he replied. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I have been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet, you never gave me not even a young goat, so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property, squandered your estate, squandered his inheritance with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me. 
You are always with me, and everything that I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours who was dead is now alive again. He was lost and he's now been found. A vital reason, church, in determining sonship, in determining sonship in you is that using Luke 15 as a central doctrinal point, even today, is useless when the individual has not determined in their hearts that they are the very offspring of promise. If you have not settled in your heart that you are the offspring of promise, then this is not a relevant story to you at all. Consider why God maybe has been ministering to us so heavily on the subject of sonship for the last year. Maybe so that you could come into a moment of understanding inheritance. Because listen to this, without a revelation of sonship, we can't even begin to speak to the issues within the household. Because a servant or a slave has no place in any of it. You don't have a word to say. You don't get to have a word to say. You just get to do what you're told and that's it. Otherwise, we would be emphatically preaching to you, even today, ownership to a people who fundamentally, legally believe they have no right or ownership in an estate and then the work that happens within it. So without sonship, there is no ownership. Without ownership, it's not squandering, it's theft. The son couldn't have squandered something if he stole it. You have to understand that what you have has been given to you. There are only two ways you get it. You either receive it from your father or you steal it from somebody else. See, the enemy works to steal from you, right? Because he doesn't have an inheritance, so he has to take it from you. Neither one of these sons, and, and however they behaved in this story, stole what they had. It was theirs the whole time. That's why the enemy steals. Because he does not have inheritance. The only inheritance that he has is death and destruction for him in the end. And being locked away. Oh, he's going to get his own land to rule over. But it's not going to be the one he ever wanted. It's going to be apart from everything he ever wanted. And he, he'll be found there. Now, without sonship, there is no ownership, and without ownership, it is not squandering. It's theft. That's not relevant to this story. This isn't a story of theft. This is a story of a son squandering his inheritance. Without sonship, there is not family. Without family, there is not disenfranchisement. Do you understand what that means? It means that you're, you are a part of the thing, but you feel not a part of the thing. It means you are a part in the family, you are a man in the family, but something in you tells you that you don't really belong there. So this story is not a story about a thief and a slave. This is a story about two sons and how they handle inheritance. And today you're going to have to have some revelation from the Lord and asking the Holy Spirit that as we are speaking to you these words, that he would show you how you have handled inheritance in your life? Do you squander it? Or do you look at it as if you're a slave? Are you disenfranchised? Are you squandering? Because that's, 
unless you are thriving in the inheritance that he has for you right, right now, you're doing one of those two things. With that being said, let's look at the examples of these two sons and specifically how, these, how they handled these things. The first thing we're going to look at is the son who lives in what is his but never takes ownership. Come on, that's good. Listen to what he just said. The son who lives in what is his but never takes ownership of it. Think about what that son the second son in the story said some of the excuses he threw out in frustration and offense and bitterness towards his father. He said, all these years I have been slaving for you. I have never once disobeyed your orders. Yet you never spoiled me with a young goat. You never threw a party for me to celebrate with my friends. I didn't sleep around with prostitutes and squander my share. You didn't honor me like you're honoring him by killing the fattened calf. Maybe you relate to some of these things. Obviously, maybe in your head they're set a different way, more applicable to a modern-day situation. Maybe you're a son who knows he's a son, so he sticks close to home. The second son in the story knows he's a son. As Pastor Kaysen said, if either of them were not aware of the fact they were sons, they wouldn't be in the story. He knows he's a son, so he sticks close to his father. Yet, if that's you, and think about this, let the Lord speak to you as we go through these. This is important. If that's you, something in you might be keeping you from believing that you can actually receive the inheritance your father has told you that he's giving you. We call that disenfranchisement. Disenfranchisement. You've disenfranchised yourself. In its most practical form, disenfranchisement means that you, you have deprived yourself of a right or a privilege. The father did not disenfranchise his son. The son disenfranchised himself. Consider that for a second. That was the one who stayed home. That wasn't even the one who actually sent himself out to another country. That is quite literally the physical manifestation of disenfranchising yourself. It's the one who stayed home. The one who knew he was a son and was obedient to things even. This is the one who on the inside was hurting, falling apart within a revelation of sonship, living in disenfranchisement. It's not that the son was not aware he had an inheritance. It was that he did not receive it in its fullness, nor did he take ownership of it. He treated himself like a slave. The father didn't treat him like a slave. He treated himself like a slave. The son is living in his everyday inheritance, yet working in it as a slave, not taking ownership of it, thinking that he has to prove himself time and time and time and time again. For those of you who have been with us a while, as we've been talking about sonship the past year or two at this point, does this sound familiar at all? Maybe in comparison to the first son, 
as he's thinking about, man, I probably should go home. I don't have it all together like I thought I did. We've talked about that revelation, as, as Pastor Kaysen mentioned when we started. That's not what we're talking about. But you can start to see that both sons have insecurities that kind of do go hand in hand yeah. towards the end. The first son, as Pastor Kaysen's going to speak about, doesn't have these problems, at least at the beginning. But he does when he realizes what he's done. He has these problems right here. The difference is this son of the house was in the house the whole time. So really, he doesn't have an excuse to feel this way. He's just feeling that way. Right. He thinks over and over again he has to prove himself. Saints, there is no earning the inheritance. Amen. Because what does that lead to? Listen to Matthew 23, 12 through 13. Jesus speaking to the Pharisees and Sadducees, and he says, Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Listen to this. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Don't have that party. I hate the sound of the singing and dancing. I hate the sound of the celebration because he hasn't done that for me yet. So how come he gets to? If you constantly strive to earn the inheritance that was always meant to be received as a gift, you will never feel like you've arrived at a place that you deem good enough. Ever. You will never get there. Therefore, what do you do? When the lost son comes home, or when the newbie comes in and receives the inheritance and receives sonship and starts walking in it yeah. in a time shorter than what you did, if you even started yet, you throw a fit. Because you've been listening to the demonic whisper in your ear that you have to earn your title as a son and an heir. You end up shutting the door on the opportunity for your brothers and sisters to walk into their inheritance because you don't feel worthy enough yourself. So you put that on them. If I can't have it, he definitely can't have it. Listen to Matthew 21. Matthew chapter 21 verse 28 says, What do you think? A man had two sons, and when he went to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterwards, he changed his mind and he went. That's called repentance. Verse 30, and he went to the other son and said the same. And he answered, I will go, sir, but did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said the first. Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you do. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes, they believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterwards change your mind and believe him. Come on, man. Was the first lost son sleeping with prostitutes? Yeah. At least that's what his brother says. Yeah. 
Truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom before you. For when this son came home, you did not believe he should still be here. But he believed he should still be here. And even when you saw that change of heart in him and your father's response, you did change your mind afterwards and believe. Church, do you remember a few weeks ago, was it, was it you and I? I think it was you and I, preaching that message. And we said, every time we say, where are you, you are to say, I'm here. Y'all yeah. remember that? Yeah. This passage encompasses why saying, I'm here, but not really being here, is detrimental to you. To say you will do what he asks of you, but then not follow through, is one of the most dangerous characteristics you can have. I'm going to say it again. To say you will do what he asks you to, but then not following through, is one of the most dangerous characteristics you can possibly have. Or putting it together with Luke 15, maybe it's just that you aren't believing what your father spoke over you when he tells you that you are more than just a servant in this estate, but you are an owner of it. The disenfranchised son saw his brother walk into the blessings of the kingdom in its fullness. And though he was standing on the brink of it himself, all he had to do was walk past the threshold of the front door. He still refused to believe his brother should be celebrated. And the sight of it actually disgusted him. I hate the sound of that music. Y'all, those of you in discipleship homes probably experience it the most. Not that you couples don't. But you know when you're spending time with your brother and sister and, and they're just doing something a certain way or saying something a certain way that you just, it just irks you like in a, such a deep-seated way. Drives you up a wall. I can only speak on this because I've been in that place. Honestly, you know what it is after I talk to the Lord about it? It's always because they're doing something that I want to do, but I'm not allowing myself to do or walk in it. It's always because I'm disenfranchising myself saying, they're doing that, and man, that really ticks me off. But the reason I can't participate is because I'm choosing not to. Maybe I don't feel worthy. Maybe I feel like I'm not them. I don't have their last name, so I can't do it the way they do it. The sight of those things disgust those who walk in that attitude. Now, very practically, I know there's a few of you in this room who still have a hard time finding yourself worthy of such a beautiful inheritance, when in reality, it's not about how worthy you are. It's about the fact that he called you a son in the first place, therefore the inheritance is already yours. What are you waiting for? Own the inheritance given to you. It is yours for the taking. He's given it to you to run with it and walk in the authority. The son was sitting at home all alone, slaving away every day, hoping to earn his title. That the father makes clear at the end, you already know this. I don't have to tell you probably for the thousandth time. You refuse to believe it. Walk in it. Own it. Do something with it. If you're still struggling with the fact that you're a son, you need to go back to last year's messages and listen to them over again. Yeah. Because we're not there anymore right now. 
We are speaking to you as if you are under the revelation that you are a son and daughter of the Most High God and you have an inheritance. If you are not there, please go back and allow the Lord to work something out on you that still refuses to believe that you are a son. We are growing abundantly as Remnant Church into all the Father desires us to be. And we are moving forward in the kingdom. We're not staying stagnant or moving backwards. We're moving forward. Which means that as we grow, the revelation grows. As we submit, he opens more doors for us to walk through. Grab hold of this today. Ask yourself before we talk about the, really in the story, the first son. Before we talk about the first son, do you struggle with disenfranchisement? Think about that and let the Lord wrestle with you in your heart about that as we move into the second son. I don't want to move on too quickly because I think there's something a little extra here that the Lord wants for you. Really, we see today that there's, a two si- there's an issue that is a two-sided coin, right? And on this issue that is a two-sided coin, on one side, you have sons that believe that inheritance isn't theirs unless dad is dead. So why do you think that dad has to be dead for it to be yours? Well, the issue is on the other side of this, and this is a lot of what our American society is established on, is, is that dads are so selfish that they hold on to what is theirs literally until the day they die. They don't trust a dang person with what's theirs until they are dead. And they even write down documents and wills to make sure that it goes exactly the way that they want it to when it's gone, when you could have done it while you were yet alive. So whenever we have a society that is built on the, re- the idea that you don't get inheritance unless dad is dead, then it causes fathers to not trust sons and sons to not trust fathers. And then the whole system's broken. Can you see how being selfish with your estate while being a father can ruin an entire series of generations? What if you started to entrust to your sons what is yours before you're dead, before it's too late, before you feel like you're on the decline? What if you're on the top of the mountain and that's when you hand it off? What if you're at the peak years of your life when you're finally earning everything you ever, that you ever sacrificed for and that's the moment when you're like, this is yours, son. See, for us who struggle in disenfranchisement, we believe that dad has to be dead for it to be ours. But if you don't believe that, and we can break that idea today, that you either have to wait till you die and you, to go participate in your Abba's inheritance, or that your father on earth or your father in the faith has to die before you can inherit their authority, their wisdom, their revelation, their property, whatever, then you, you're not waiting for old men to die. You're not waiting for young men to die. This young man over in this corner called my pastor. I'm not waiting for him to die to go and carry on the estate that I'm getting to receive in my life with him being a father in the faith to me. I don't have to wait for him to die. I can look at what he's building and say, I want to build that with you too. So what if you right here in this life stopped worrying about whether or not it's only yours and you come into the understanding that it is yours, but it's also his. What if you looked at your father in heaven and say, I understand this earth is yours, but I also understand that it's mine too. At the same time, it doesn't have to be not his for it to be yours. Do you understand that? It does not have to be not his for it to be yours. 
He shares. He's a really secure father who is not so insecure that he feels like you're going to ruin everything if he shares it with you. He's been sharing his authority here on the earth with stupid men for a long time. And I get to be one of them guys that uh, doesn't make a whole lot of sense that he trusts, but he does, tr- but he does trust it into my hands. And that's a mercy to me. We're going to move on to the other son, but do y'all understand a little bit more about inheritance now? Man, we have, we're having a culture shift. I, I see fathers here in this church that are going to be handing over their greatest prized possessions, their revelation, resources, land, companies, everything, over to their sons while they are all yet alive so that they together can grow that estate. So the, what about the other son? The son who receives what he knows to be his, but he squanders it or abuses it. This is another side of what you might be doing with your Abba's inheritance. So this means knowing what's yours and stewarding it properly are two entirely different things. So there's not just been a breakout in remnant church. There's been a breakout in the greater spirit-filled community across the board even across the world we've heard it in other countries of a revelation of sonship sonship has been a huge huge issue that holy spirit himself has been teaching in churches all over the world who are completely unconnected with each other or so they think (laughs) they are connected by the same holy spirit who's teaching us all the same revelation at the same time but at the same time There might be a teaching, there might be a revelation of sonship, but there still has to be a conversation about stewardship. Because you could be a son and not stewarding it well at the same time. Some of you in this room today, and I hope many more who listen to this recording for years to come, are very anointed, empowered people. You know who you are, and you know where you came from. You may even have an idea of where you're going. But... Here is the warning to you. Your anointing is not the same thing as your father's approval. You may carry his name. You may carry his seal. You may have access to his wealth, but all at the same time have no character to carry it out. This is the issue the father takes with such people, possibly such as yourself. It is devastating to his heart and to his household. It is devastating to his heart and to his estate. Now, not that he can't recover his estate, but he is genuinely entrusting to you a part of his estate. And when he gives you your portion in it, you ought not squander it. This is why we have to know the value of inheritance. Because if you don't value the inheritance, then you squander it. You spend it on loose living, on wild living. You spend it on foolishness. You spend it on gratifying your own flesh. Listen to another time in the scripture that this happened. This is in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 1. Starting in verse 1, it says, When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Joel, and the name of his second, Abiah. And they were judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. 
Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the other nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. Wow. I find it interesting that when sons and places of authority not do what they know they ought to do, that they fall so far to the wayside that the people who had no concept of inheritance are now the voting members for removing you and putting some other horrible replacement in your spot. So the people who don't understand inheritance, who do not take ownership, are now your voting council. Sound familiar? Wow, that's happening in churches everywhere in America. So, this is the disenfranchised sons who do have ownership, but don't understand that they have ownership, are now voting members casting out the ones who knew that they were owners but are squandering it do you see how then at that point we're left with absolutely nothing good in this situation this is how you end up with some huge church with a guy who's not who wasn't even didn't even get raised up with the work that God was doing there God can redeem these things we see in the scriptures that he does it over and over again we're not saying that God doesn't do that in churches today he absolutely does but there was something precious about a generational work. Samuel was a good enough father to see that it was not all about him. So he set his sons up as judges over the land. And for all the ways that we could assume that he was a poor father because we see poor character in his sons, we also see poor character in a son in Luke 15 with a perfect father. So it's debatable. We see Samuel dispersing his authority among his sons over the land as judges, but they perverted the way of life that their father gave them. They perverted the knowledge, the wisdom, the authority, everything that Samuel gave them, they ruined it. No party wins in these situations. The people voting are voting for a king. And then the sons, who were supposed to walk in authority and leadership, are now so busy with their prostitutes, so busy getting rich off of God's people, that now they don't have anything either themselves. This leaves the entire family in disarray. Hear this today. If you know yourself to be a person who walks in a degree of security in your sonship, and you know yourself to be impactful in ministry wherever you go, then do not abuse the inheritance that has been given to you and set aside for you. You have to understand, some of it has been given to you, and some of it has been set aside for you. And if you know yourself to be secure, you're like, I'm a son and I know it. And I carry authority and I know it. I'm anointed and I know it. You can still, within that, abuse what's been given to you. Now, this isn't a conversation that comes up very often these days because we have such an insecure generation that we're dealing with. There is such an insecurity blanketed over our society that we don't talk the issues within secure sons very often. But we felt the need to share these things with you today because in this church, we are coming into a security as it pertains to sonship. And whenever you're secure about it, you know what you can do then? You can squander it. 
The world is counting on you, secure sons, to rise up and to do what is righteous. You can be a temporarily secure son of God who behaves wickedly and throws off an entire move of God's people. I've got a word for you today to wake up and know your place in your heavenly father's estate. People are counting on you to step up into your place of ownership and then within your ownership to steward it in righteousness and not squander it. His boundary lines are sweet. Are you dissatisfied with the portion of the estate that he's given you to own? Listen, I know that your inheritance that you're living in right now, some of you, you secure sons in the room. I know that your inheritance can buy you a ticket anywhere in the world. But as for you, he put you right here. Just imagine what your inheritance that comes from his, his estate looks like when it's multiplied because it was sowed right back into your Abba's estate. Your inheritance is a part of his estate. He gives it to you, and then you turn around and you sow it right back in. Instead of your own thing off to the side. Now, this doesn't always look like you doing exactly, exactly what dad's doing every day. But it does look like you're saying, we own this thing. And part of my maturity as a son is saying, I own it, therefore I'm going to work this thing like I own it. See, this is where sons and slaves, the whole conversation starts to get kind of funny whenever the servants who don't understand inheritance start outworking the sons who do understand inheritance. Why on earth would you, who own it, not want to see it multiplied and grow? Why would you, who own it, not want to see it grow? Why are you waiting for those who don't understand that they own it to work harder than you? It's a whole issue because then you have sons like Samuel's son who know they own it. Man, this is my thing. And then they squander it waiting for somebody else to do the work of righteousness on the inheritance that's been given to them. That's when you get replaced. That is when you get replaced. But yet there's hope. There's hope. Because you might be an image bearer. You might be a name bearer, feckless idiot, all at the same time. We call that spirit-filled and stupid. Yeah. But there's hope. When those who squander, listen, listen, listen. Those who squander, when those who squander become those who steward, the world is changed for it. When those who squander become those who steward, the whole world is changed for it because they're not struggling. They never were struggling in the sonship category. They weren't struggling in it. What they're struggling in is in stewarding. The inheritance. And for men who squander their inheritance or wait for other men to do the work for them in their inheritance, when they stand up, the whole world has changed. Because we see awesome stories. I personally love the stories of seeing men who don't belong come into a place and then belong and then have ownership in it. I love that story. I relate to it in some ways in my life. 
But you know what you see is more powerful in the scriptures? Whenever actual sons step up and be who they're called to be. Because then you have a guy like Ittai standing next to David whenever his own son Absalom just pushed him out the city. Ittai came out of nowhere. In fact, he was a citizen of the city of Gath where Goliath himself was from. He was a descendant of the enemies of David. And yet he's found to be David's closest friend and most trusted warrior, leading a third of David's army next to him while Absalom kicked all of them out the city. God will put a servant in place of a son who is squandering. Because God's always looking to make more sons. Romans 8 says the world is waiting for the revealing of his sons. Why would he not put more image bearers of his authority, more seal bearers of his authority on the earth? He's waiting for some people who want to carry his name. He's waiting for some people who want to carry his image. That then the whole earth would be changed. Some of you were born into these things. Did you get lazy somewhere along the way? Did you go off and try to build your own thing somewhere along the way? What are you doing with your inheritance today? Today. Will you be one who stands with Christ and inherits in the end all that's intended for him? If you are, it's required of you that you stand with him today. In Romans 8, 17, it says, Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we might also share in his glory. We're going to land this message here in a minute as we come towards a close. And as we're starting to wrap up, notice that neither the son who came back home nor the one who always stuck close to home truly understood their inheritance. Both of them in their immaturity did not fully realize what they were given. The lost son squandered his, he abused it. The son at home never fully understood the importance of it, nor that he owned the estate in the first place. This morning, we want you to know as sons and daughters of God just how important your inheritance is. We started this message by saying we're not going to get into the minutia of what that inheritance is. We'll cover that over the weeks to come as the Lord reveals it to us. But you need to know that you have one. And you need to know that it's important for you to take. And I'd encourage you to go home and pray what your inheritance is. Outside of what this church has inherited. For you as a son and a daughter, you go home and you pray and ask the Lord. Lord, what is my inheritance? Y'all know that the best owners of businesses, we're learning this right now, and Mr. Kevin knows this very well. The best owners of businesses are the ones who work harder than any other employee they have in the business. They outwork every employee. A lot of owners you knew growing up probably sat at home on their lazy boy chair, answering phone, that's what I thought an owner did, answering phone calls and just telling people where to go, do this, do that. I'm not coming to work today. I'm an owner of this thing. Now, the best owners work the hardest for what they own. And that's what this church is going to be. 
Your inheritance is not to be taken lightly, nor is it to be mistreated. It is a gift from the Father, and he allows us to advance his kingdom together. The remnant church and the saints that are in this body will not miss out on their inheritance. Not because we selfishly desire the blessings that come from it, and there are blessings. But we don't selfishly desire those things, but rather we desire to change the world and set souls free for his kingdom. And that comes by walking in the authority given to us in our inheritance. As we start to wrap up, turn with us to Matthew 25. When you get there, look at verse 22. Think about what was happening in the story with these two sons in, in the Luke 15 passage. They're... Neither one of them are really getting it. Neither one of them understand their part in it. They're both missing the mark. But what was it that the father said whenever the son, when the older son who stayed home, when the older son who stayed home said, you did not even give me a goat for my friends and I to celebrate. What, what was that the father responded with? He said, you have always been with me and everything, everything, everything that I have is yours. So in a moment where a son is struggling with security, a father didn't say, you know, you're my favorite. You, 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 you hey, listen, your, your little brother, like, look, we're just trying to make him feel better because he's been gone for a time. This is just come in, enjoy the party, and then we'll move on because this thing's real. He didn't say any of that. He said, you've been with me the whole time, and all that I have is yours. Yeah. What we noticed here is, is that whenever sons are struggling with security, God's answer comes in the form of explaining to you inheritance. It's true. Why is that? Because he's given you perspective on how big this thing is, how important this thing is, how valuable this thing is. He looked at his son and didn't have some emotional conversation with him. He said, all that I have is yours. Because the father knew what the son's struggle actually was. The son's struggle was in the, was in the realm of ownership. He, he didn't say, well, dad, you didn't tell me that I own this thing. That's not what he said. You didn't give me a goat. It's be, Lord, it's because you didn't give me that. It's because I didn't have that thing that everybody else had. He said, everything that I have is yours the whole time. What's the deal? So whenever a son does receive for a second time everything that he squandered the first time, and you're wondering why you never had it in the first place, he's telling you that it was yours to have the whole time. He said, you're looking at the wrong issue. It wasn't about the goat. It was the fact that you actually owned the thing the whole time and you never participated in it. Not to mention, not to mention that he is setting an example. The father is setting an example for an older son who feels his way to have to earn something. In Remember who Jesus is telling the story to in Luke 15. He's talking to Pharisees. He's talking in front of teachers and rulers. He's talking in front of people who have a system of sacrifice that they have misunderstood. Who brought the calf for the lost son? Who brought the calf for the lost son? It wasn't the lost son. It was the servants at the word of the father. 
The father comes and says, I'm going to lay down sacrifice for my son who's coming home. I'm going to answer his debt. I'm going to answer whether or not he belongs. I am going to put some blood on the altar. I'm going to put some meat on the grill for my son who's come home. He doesn't have to come home and bring me a peace offering. He needs to show up and receive what I have to say about him. Think about how that should impact an older son who's been struggling with the fact that he has to earn this thing the whole time. That will break your entire economic model of how you think the kingdom works. So how does the father answer it? He answers it with ownership of the estate and stewardship. Matthew 25 verse 22 says, The man with two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. I have stewarded, well, I have doubled, brought you back a double portion for the portion that you gave me. You've been asking the Lord for double portions your whole life. How about you bring him a double portion? How about that? His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness or in your master's blessings. You bless God. You can't impress God, but you can bless him. Kendall, I heard that one time blew my mind. You can't impress God, but you can bless him. So whenever you bless him with your double portion that you bring back to him, then it's at that moment that you start to understand what ownership in an estate looks like. See, Whenever you are interested in bringing a double portion back for him because you love him and you want to be found faithful before him, that faithfulness, you got something to be proud of, man. You got something that you're excited to bring back to him. And you weren't asking why that guy got five and you got two. You just bring back two more with the two that you got. And he says, I will entrust you with more. Can you see why whenever... The son came, the older son who stayed home, came to the father and he had concerns that the father had not been fair to him. The father's response was about ownership because this whole thing's about ownership. If you took ownership of this thing, there'd be a whole different issue going on every day. You'd be concerned about who, like what servants are in the field. You'd be concerned about the You'd be quality checking everything. You would take pride in what you're doing. You would be intricately involved in the daily affairs, but you're not because you don't take ownership. You're just worried about the work you're doing over in your corner of the field. But the father says that whenever you rightly steward things, when you take ownership, he says you're faithful with little. I am going to entrust you with more of the estate, not because you earned it, because I don't want you to be crushed under the weight of the deposit. See, not all people are given equal gifts and abilities. I know like we all want God to be perfect in the realm of equality and fairness. He's not. He's just. He's not fair, though. Yeah, he's not a communist God, that's for sure. Hallelujah. All our Chinese brothers say, Amen. Listen, it's not about that. It is about a father who's looking for some sons who take ownership in this thing. Proverbs 20 verse 21 says, an inheritance quickly gained at the beginning will not be blessed at the end. Interesting. 
He knows what degree of inheritance you can handle today. And if you're wondering why there are certain gifts in your life you feel like you're not walking in, if you feel like there are certain amounts of wealth in your life that you're expecting that you're not walking in yet, if you feel like there's a revelation in the scriptures that you don't have yet, if you feel like there's a spouse that's on the way, if you feel like there are children that are on the way, if you feel like there are blessings on the way that you know he's going to entrust to you, I'm not telling you that he's, asked, he's waiting for you to earn it. That's something that Kendall and I have had to have fundamentally broken in our brains. What we're saying is he, wants, he knows what to entrust you with. It's his estate anyways. That money he's going to give you is his money anyways. Those children he's going to give you are his children anyways. That, those years of life he's going to give you are his job. It's his world and his money and his resources and his everything anyways. He's entrusting you with a greater portion of his estate, so he wants to see you be faithful with the portion, or the meros in Greek, the part, your allotment in the estate that he has in store for you. In Luke chapter 2, we see a story of people who took their inheritance in this life seriously. There was a work, there was a sense of ownership in this thing that they had, that they said, I will not give up until I see these things fulfilled. These stories have brought me to tears over and over and over and over again in my life. Every time I come back to it, he shows me something new and a few simple scriptures about people that there are not that much written about. In Luke chapter 1, Two, verse 21, it says, And when eight days passed before Jesus' circumcision, his, his name was then called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days for the purification, or the firstborn purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opened the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. I'm going to try to finish this. Holy smokes. And this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel. This man is looking for the restoration, the consolation, the re restoration of his land. Not just himself. Not just for him to be some great priest. He is looking for the restoration of his entire people. It says, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. That sounds before his time. We, we got about 35 years until that's supposed to be. This dude's covered in the Holy Spirit, coming in, looking for the consolation of Israel. It says, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. When you start hearing language like that from the Holy Spirit to you, he's speaking inheritance to you. He's speaking your allotment in life. He's speaking that this is the thing you can take ownership over. So if you're told what the final result of your inheritance is, if you're told that at the last, at the very end, you get to hold the Christ before anybody else does, how on earth are you going to live every day from that point until you get to hold him? 
Because that's the actual question. This is the difference for some. It's not whether or not you get to hold him in the end. It was already promised to you that you're going to hold him in the end. How are you going to live every day until you get to hold him? It says, and he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, he then took him into his arms and blessed God and said, now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace. I'm getting to step out at the moment when it all gets fulfilled. According to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. which you have prepared in the presence of all people, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And his father and mother were amazed at these things. They're just happy, man. They're just like, no way, that's exciting. He is pretty cute, isn't he? And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel. And for a sign to be opposed, and a sword will pierce even your own soul, Mary and Joseph, to those who were especially called to steward that inheritance. To To the end that thoughts from many may be revealed. And there was a prophetess. It doesn't end with Simeon, man. There was a prophetess named Anna. Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher, she was advanced in years and had lived with her husband for only seven years after her marriage, before she was widowed. And then as a widow to the age of now 84, She never left the temple, serving night and day with fasting and prayers. And at that very moment, she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak of him to all those who were looking for redemption in Jerusalem. Y'all stand up. There are two people here. There are two people here who said, I'm receiving my lot in this inheritance and I'm taking it seriously. I might not see it until the very end of my life. I might not see it to the end of my days, but I'm not living like the inheritance is then. I'm living like the inheritance is now. My inheritance is that my father has promised me something. My inheritance is that that is the word that he spoke to me. My inheritance is not the physical manifestation of it. It's the fact that it's been brought to me and it's been spoken over me already. So if you're waiting for an inheritance to show up, and you're living according to a way of life that you're only going to live that way when it gets here, you're missing the whole thing. You're missing the whole point of your inheritance. Your inheritance should be stewarded today because there was a man named Simeon and there was a woman named Anna who waited their whole lives. And even then, none of the world could see it when they, what they saw. They were looking at a little baby and they're like, that is everything I've waited for my whole life. And he's a baby laying right here in front of me and it doesn't look like a mound of gold and it doesn't look like a king with a two-handed sword on his horse and it doesn't look like fire falling from heaven and looks like a baby showing up at my feet and there was a man named Simeon who in his humility 
holds up this child and says, this is everything you promised for me. And how this was worth working my whole life for. This was worth waiting my whole life for this thing. For this one little moment, if this is my lot and my inheritance, then I'm going to, then I lived it seriously. It's men like that, that at the end of their life, they get to hold that baby, even if they waited their whole life for it. Even if it looks like promise in an infantile form. He was waiting for something that he could hand to the next generation. He showed a lifestyle of faithfulness. For people that were missing it the whole time. These guys were serving in the temple church. You know how many people other than them missed it in, in the temple? Almost everybody. You got John the Baptist's dad and you got these two. Other than that, pretty much everybody misses it. But this man said, I saw it when nobody saw it. And when I did see it, I was okay with what it looked like because it wasn't for me to live in anyways. It was for them to live in. And now you get to have some disciples who still don't think that it looks the way that it was supposed to look, but they get to look back at Simeon and say, if he could see it when nobody saw it, and I can see it now, but it just wasn't what I thought it looked like, I can at least live like Simeon the rest of my life and see what happens. Y'all lift your hands to the Lord. Jesus, we release over your people here in this room a revelation of their inheritance. An understanding, Lord, that what you have for them is good. And what you have for us is everything we could have ever wanted, everything we could have ever needed, and more. Jesus, help us to be a people who understand inheritance. God, as you have taken us out of a slave mentality and you have brought us into a mentality of a son, we're asking for you to help us to mature in our sonship, to be those who take ownership in this thing who don't have to feel like it has to be ours and not yours, but maybe it could be both of ours. God, I ask that you would begin to work on the hearts of fathers in the room today to start releasing to their sons, even for what looks like before their time, the authority that God gave them, the wealth that God gave them, the influence that God gave them, the knowledge and the wisdom. God, we say let it come from the fathers to the sons today, even if it looks like they're too young and it's before their time. Appropriate to the measure that your wisdom, Abba, says, and that I won't crush you with your inheritance, son, but I will bless you with it in a way that you will have to steward it. It won't be something easy, but it'll be something that you can steward, something that'll put some sweat on your brow and something that'll cause you to labor, but I won't let your inheritance crush you. God, we thank you for the revelation you've given us. And God, we release your revelation to extend to us in the weeks and the months to come, God. That we would see, even as we lead up to, God, a day of ordination. 
in the weeks to come, Lord, that we see an, a movement of inheritance happening here in this house. We see a movement of inheritance happening in this church, Lord, that every person in this room who still thinks themselves to be a servant would walk into sonship now. Lord, and that all those who know themselves to be sons would look at what you have given them and say, I will value this all the days of my life and I will not squander it. I will not spoil it and I will not be found spending it on prostitutes but I will sow it right back into your estate, Father. God, we love you and we thank you so much that you have been so good to us. You have encouraged us with the revelation of your estate, the revelation of your inheritance. God, and we thank you that you have done a better work than even what the doctrines we received did when we were kids that said that everything just happened when we died. Today, Lord, we take ownership of your estate with you. Today, Lord, we choose to live in your inheritance. We love you, God, and we thank you, Yeshua, for all these things you revealed to us. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.